Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, and I'm also finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, advocate and City of Manningham councillor. And we are The Money, Money Cafe. Cafe, coming to you from uh, the Shorts Raw Cafe in beautiful downtown Hawthorne, which is completely split asunder by roadworks at the moment. We've got, anyway. we got roadworks outside our place at the moment. The government's spending $130 million on a totally unnecessary project. It's been going for about three months in uh, Fitzsimons Lane. So, anyway, but uh, enough of that. But enough of that. waste $130 million, I say. You could do a whole bunch of good things with that. You could. Basically, on roadworks. So, it's the end of the financial year, uh, Stephen. Today is June the 30th. It is the last day. So, this morning before I came out here, I sold 10 dogs to crystallise $2,400 worth of tax losses. Now, speaking of tax losses, we've had 10,100 emails correcting you and your tax washing, and you've apparently been advising people to do something illegal, which I find terribly... But anyway... Um, I think ASIC's about to take me away. Correct mate, yourself. Finfluencer crackdown. But uh, yes, so you cannot tax wash by selling off a stock and buying it back straight away before the end of the financial year. So I've sold 10 stocks this morning. The worst was Bluebet, where I've lost 90% of my money trying to be a gambling activist. And if I bought them back this morning, then um, I can't claim the $450 loss. So the lesson is you, you just take your loss and don't buy back in. Or maybe wait a few months and buy a different amount. But well, so you, 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 and you apply the loss against some capital gain from something else. Yes. Correct? Yes, that's right. So apologies to the five people who were listed in the record questions today. I thank them all for calling me a illegal cowboy, the Manningham nutter, and you know, thank you for all of that. And I apologise, and I've got a printout of the tax officer's 47-page ruling on tax washing. And uh, So I, I looked up the, the two worst performing stocks over the financial year just finished today. Uh, what do you think they would be? At a guess, come oh. on. What's your guess? Is this all, all caps or I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you could buy now, pay later. Exactly. Two buy later, pay later companies, Zipco and Sezzle. Sezzle, yep. Down 95 and 97% yes. respectively. Well, and – I was and gonna say, yeah, keep going. The best performing stock is Some lithium flyer, is it? Or yes, it is. AVZ Minerals. AVZ. Gee, and, and speaking uh, 300%, of three hundred percent, no, three hundred and eighty or something. Speaking of lithium, have you followed the Lake Resources uh, soap opera? No. What's so they're, they're, they've just been admitted to the ASX two hundred, and they're claiming that they've got all these uh, Argentinian lithium prospects, right? And then. Um, the CEO quit and sold all his shares the day after he quit and the stock's fallen 55% since they joined the ASX 200. And the shorting, it now costs you 21% a year to borrow stock to short this outfit. So everyone thinks it's going to zero. They're all trying to short it, whereas normally shorting is 13 basis points. And uh, so the CEO's done a runner and everyone's going and the thing's down from market cap of $3 billion to $1 billion. And they're looking for a new new directors, and it's just lithium mania. It got a bit out of hand, and then all the index funds have had to buy in when the stock hit the 200. So just this week, State Street became a five percent shareholder, 
In the meantime, they're set lending all their stock to other people who were shorting the bejesus out of it. So That's amazing. It's an amazing story. So, uh, uh, but, uh, I, I had a couple of things at the end of the year. So I think the, the shafting of the year, I reckon, was the Queensland government's hit on the coal miners. They've introduced the highest coal taxes in the world. It's almost like a resource of super profits tax. 40% royalty if it rises above a certain level. Huh. Whereas in sounds, WA, the iron ore is only about 6 or 7%. Yeah, and scandal of the year, I reckon, is the, just the casinos, Star and Crown, the, you know, multiple yep. royal commissions. Completely. Maybe the stuff. Speaking up. of which, did you notice that um, uh, Star has hired uh, Robbie Cook, CEO of Tyro Payments? I cannot think of anyone else who's been a CEO of four public companies like this man. Oh, is that so? Yeah, what if Tats... Tyro, and now back into the gambling space with uh, Star. And the share price, Tyro's share price fell 15% or something yesterday, and Star's went up by 3.5%, and the change in market capitalisation for each company was about the same. So <laughs> Star, Tyro's down about $50 million and Star's up about $50 million and Robbie Cook's getting paid 1.6 million base. Should be worth double that. Uh, well, a bit of a bargain, you'd yeah. think. No, I used to run a list of the, the biggest market movers when they got hired or fired. I remember John Prescott, when BHP fired him in uh, 1997, the, the stock went up $2 billion and he was on the record saying, yes, I expected that would happen. <laughs> so <laughs> he knew that he was a drag on the market for valuation of BHP. Huh. But good luck to Robbie Cook. He is a good operator. And you know that the disclosure trick that he did at Tyro, which was unprecedented and continues to this day, they do weekly transaction data every Friday. They just put it to the ASX. So during COVID, when everything was going crazy, yeah. he moved to weekly to say, well, it's such a fast-moving space. So I'll give you weekly. And he's still doing it. Right. That's best practice disclosure. I wonder if his successor will keep doing it. No, he said they'll stop it at the uh, full-year results in August. But that's just a good example of maximum transparency there. Yeah, right. Um, the other thing worth mentioning from yesterday is the demise of Vault Bank, which um, uh, announced that it was closing down, um, sacking 140 people. $100 million goes back to depositors. Uh, so no one loses any money except the investors. You know, the I shareholders. Think, I think they, um, uh, they, they raised $212 million. I'm not sure whether all of that money is lost, uh, but I'd say it, probably most of it is. It's a... Big graveyard of people who've taken on the big four cartel, well, isn't there, it? There were four digital banks that launched around about the same time. Ginger, which is X-I-N-J-A, 86400, which has to do with the number of seconds in a day or something, uh, and um, uh, Judo Bank. The only one surviving now is Judo, which is on the ASX, but it's trading at a, at a record low and, um, you know, not going that well. Ginger closed. 86400 was sold to NAB. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, it's terribly hard to break into the, um, the banking oligopoly yeah, in this the, country. The, the payment space, I mean, even PayPal shares are down 75%. Whereas, whereas Visa, you know, old dinosaur Visa, current market cap, 414 billion US, yeah, well, maybe down 15% from the record I know, high. but it, Visa's and MasterCard are bank companies. Yeah, yeah, but they don't take credit risk and they just they just clip the ticket on transactions. Yeah. But all these other guys haven't haven't been able to break their business model or take any serious share off them. And I mean, no. the buy now, pay later are going to go broke. I mean, I think deal of the year was probably Afterpay selling themselves to, oh, totally. to Square Block yeah. for um, 19% of that company. I mean, that's more. Afterpay might have gone to zero oh, as well. 
Well, it might have, but Block's gone down a fair bit too. Well, it's down a lot, but they had a bit more real stuff in there than um, than Afterpay, in my view. Hey, um, we've got so many questions, we've been moving along. Uh, um, uh, what's going on with Rupert Murdoch? Well, I mean, he's... he's, he's Jerry, uh, uh, Has he and Jerry Hall broken up or what? Yeah, yeah, they, well... Who dumped whom? Oh, well, apparently he dumped her by text, but you never know what to believe. But uh, apparently he wasn't happy with her drinking and smoking. So really clean, and it's just another 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 lockdown divorce. I mean, divorces are at record highs because of lockdown. People got sick of each other. So, but but it's amazing to think that it's his fourth failed marriage, but it's the only one that didn't make it to ten years. So he married. He managed um, eleven years with his first wife, and they were both about twenty-five at the time. He then managed 32 years with Anna and she was only 23 when they were married, whereas he was uh, 13 years older. And Wendy Deng, he managed 14 years and there was a 38-year difference. And with Jerry Hall, they only got to six years and there's a 26-year gap. But what's interesting is Rupert rarely stays single for long. The longest break he's had has been two years between Wendy and Jerry. So, who knows? I yeah, but he's, he's really old now. I reckon he's going to go... Old, how old is he? He's going to go a fifth time, I reckon. How old is he? He's 91. 91. He's in a competition with the Queen as to who can have their role for the longest. So the Queen got the gig in early 52 and Rupert got the gig in January 53. So they're in a duel to be the longest serving, powerful, high profile person in the world. Well, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that is Yeah, well, that's the contest, yeah. No one else gets close. So, um, <laughs> so, but the Queen at least was loyal and stay, stayed strong with Phil, whereas Rupert just rolls through his wives like uh, discarding another business partner. Yeah. And then we've got James Packer, who received a cheque for $3.3 billion from Blackstone last Friday. You know how much I got? $131. For my ten shares, <laughs> what's he going to do with four billion in cash? In, plus, he sold ten percent earlier. See, plus the three point oh, three last week. So, uh, so what's he going to do with what is he going to do with four billion well, cash? Well, he's, he's given a big interview to Rup, the Australian Rupert, of course, his great mate Lachlan, and he says he's going to spend ten years redeeming his reputation. He's going to come back to Australia in March next year. So he's, he's announcing it takes him nine months to come back again. He wants to go swimming with his kids at Bondi when he's down to 100 kilos. He's down to 125 now. And he wants to get into AI. He's hired Hamish Douglas to give him advice because Hamish is no longer on the board at uh, Magellan. But he says he's never felt better for years. He's no longer taking any antidepressants and he's losing weight and with the kids and happy that he's out of crown with as much uh, cash as he got because he got a good price in the end. So, how much more? You know, I don't. Know, this is a, a question without notice. How much more is four billion than he inherited? Do you know? Oh, he's definitely gone backwards. Right. Definitely gone backwards. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's not even in the top twenty now in Australia, whereas his father was number one for a long time. The fortune, I think, peaked at eight or nine uh, before the Ziggies and the and the before the, the Twiggies and the Palmers and the uh, the Iron Ores all, yeah, all yeah, came but- along. And, uh, but, yeah, he's barely in the top 20 and he's net lost money on Crown. Um, and he's had a lot of other bad investments. Like well, he, didn't, he, lost, he lost $200 million in Channel 10, you know, just a few well, yeah, and three, he didn't, And he didn't run Crown very well. I mean, he, he, he mucked it up. But he gold-plated it. Well, he, yeah, he but, he, play, but he, he, he let them run amok. 
Well, he did. Well, he drove that because he gold-plated it so much. He then had to get people to come in and use the damn thing. So he had to find every every Asian money launderer he could find to justify spending three or four billion building these ridiculously luxurious resorts in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth when that was the market for Macau. He, he tried to repeat the Macau opulence in Australia. That was his mistake rather than just sitting back and taking the local grind market. Right. Um, so he should have left the high roller stuff to Macau and just had domestic casinos and he would have made a lot more money and not, not got it wiped out in three Royal Commissions. No. There we are. Anyway, and finally, I was going to say, I went to the CSR AGM this morning, and uh, I got oh, about eight or nine questions in. But was John, that in was that in person or online? No, online. But John, it was a hybrid in Sydney. But John Gillen, the ex Bunnings CEO, he's the chair, and he didn't like questions at all. Yeah, half of them didn't get asked properly. He's refusing to give me a transcript. He wouldn't disclose the proxies to the ASX early. Um, he he wouldn't comment on. On uh, proxy advisors, uh, job keeper. He just said, "I said, why didn't you get in on, on the rort? Everyone else did." And he said, "We didn't qualify." And um, the cheekiest one I got in was asking the Stockland former Stockland CEO Matthew Quinn if he held more shares in in CSR or Stockland. And normally that'd be oh, it's private. How dare you? And he used to come out and said, "I've got four hundred thousand in CSR and I've got less in Stockland." So. He's a CEO who hasn't hung on to his options. Huh. Anyway, but, uh, and they didn't ask the one about, Mr. Chair, you were reportedly a candidate to be chair of Cricket Australia. If you'd got the role, would you have dumped CSR? And that didn't get asked. So, um, anyway. But they talked about the, the, oh, and asbestos. They've paid out $156 million in 10 years for asbestos victims. You asked them so, that, did you? Yeah. yeah. When's and it they told to, you. When's it going to finish? And they said, thank you for asking that. That's a good question. We discussed asbestos a lot. And this is going to go on for many, many more years. But it averages $15 million a year they pay out. How often do you get told, thank you for asking that question, Stephen? Not, 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 very, not very often. Not very often. But, <laughs> but I, we do have the next AGM, Alan, and I've got your invitation here. Is that July 28, we've got the Macquarie AGM at the Grand Hyatt in Melbourne. Mr. Glenn Stevens, the chair, is inviting shareholders to come along for a 10 a.m. 10:30 a.m. start. So I just need you to spend $504 buying three shares, and you and I are going to go along together, and you're going to ask your first ever question at an AGM. Oh, look, I don't know. I think a pressing engagement is probably going to pop up. Yeah, Money Cafe that day. Money Cafe that day. Yeah, yeah so we right. go straight from Macquarie, and then we record the Money Cafe in the coffee shop at the Grand Hyatt after. Taking out the Macquarie millionaires. <laughs> That'd be quite good fun. Anyway. I'll Could be good fun, yes. We'll see how we go. We should do some questions. We've got to do questions. Let's move on. We've got a lot of them. Um, so you can go first. All right. So, Kate, love your podcast. With interest rates rising, I would have thought fixed interest funds and ETFs would be showing more positive rates of return. For example, Vanguard's Australian fixed interest ETF is down 8.67% over 12 months. Why are fixed interest ETF returns negative? Is it because bond prices fall as interest rates rise? With interest rates forecast to keep rising in the short to medium term, where are investors likely to see the greatest benefit from rising interest rates? Is it term deposits? Uh, Well, yes, you're right, Kate. It's because bond prices fall as interest rates rise. So uh, bond uh, rates are rising, have been for a while, and that is causing the prices of bonds to fall. Um, the best place for uh, to have your money when interest rates are rising, as they are now, 
is probably short term. I mean, the, the whole thing about uh, this environment is to shorten your maturity. Um, so you don't really want to be in a term deposit because um, you're locking in a, a rate that is likely to change during the term yep. of the deposit. So you probably want to stay in cash. Um, or a, a floating rate product like those, the bank hybrids. I mean, ANZ, yeah. for instance, they raised $1.3 billion in February and the margin then was 2.7% over the three-month bank bill rate. But Westpac is currently in the market for $1.5 billion and they're offering a margin of 3.4% over, over the, the bank. bank bill rate. So if the bank bill rate goes up with official yeah. interest rates, you continue to That's get 3.4% right. more than that. So you want to be in floating rate. The securities, which, as, as Stephen says, uh, mainly the hybrids, and the bank hybrids are pretty secure and, they, and you, your rate goes up with interest rates. Yeah. Now, um, Paul, uh, Paul's saying, what has happened to modern monetary theory? Did you back a loser there? Well, look, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about modern monetary theory. Um, it, it, it is, it, it, a lot of people think that basically it says government should print money. And uh, really, that's not what it's about. It's, it's basically modern monetary theory says that governments can print money, not that they should, uh, which is a statement of the obvious. Um, uh, there are a lot, a number of proponents that uh, that governments should print money to fund their spending. Um, those who are serious about MMT say that you, they should they should print money or could print money up to the point when it causes inflation. Yeah, and that has to do with the the ability of the economy to supply it. The problem is measuring or determining what is the ability of the economy to supply. Hmm. Uh, goods and services for the extra money and nobody can really determine that. It's really hard to determine that. And secondly, nobody wants to um, give politicians the power to print money hmm. because nobody trusts the politicians, which is entirely fair but, enough. But, but do you think that if, if we hadn't printed as many trillion as we have, that global inflation wouldn't be at 10%, would it? So the, 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 the excessive money printing has contributed to this current, you know, Unprecedented in forty years breakout of world inflation. Possibly, but it's but I would say it's the least contributor out of Ukraine and That's COVID right. supply chains. Yeah, yeah. So okay. most of the inflation has come from supply problems and commodity prices rising. There is an aspect to it that's caused by demand. Yeah, and. Really, it's not so much to do with the money printing as to do with fiscal policy, fiscal stimulus, which is which has actually put cash in the hands of people in their bank accounts, which uh, that is leading to extra demand. The money printing has uh, been designed to re keep interest rates on long-term securities down, which it's done, and I don't think that's really had much of an impact on inflation, to be honest. But no one's using fiscal policy to try and deal with inflation. Like, governments are still overstimulating with massive deficits. No, no, they're... Uh, yes, no, but they're reducing the deficits. Well, but The, the still stimulus has to, has to do with the direction or the change in the deficit rather than the actual size of the deficit. So they are... Uh, governments are tending now to re retrench or reduce their deficits. Yeah, modestly, but, I mean, there's no more... No-one's banging on about debt and deficit like the Howard and Costello No, that's true. And that is because money printing has been normalised and accepted. I mean, at City of Manningham, we did our budget this week. And the City of Manningham is printing money, And is it? we have 90 million of cash in the bank and no debt, and we are responsible. 
even with our record $64 million capital works program. So one level of government is being responsible, while the Victorian government's got $110 billion of outstanding bonds. Remember it was a crisis when Joan Kerner had $33 billion? Well, it's now 110 and the Feds obviously are at 900 and heading to a trillion. Well, we should obviously sack the state government, let the Manningham Council take over, Indeed. which would be, you know, we'd all be uh, on the straight and narrow then. Um, uh, Mark says, the goal of interest rate rises seems to be to cool companies, uh, company and people spending. The blunt tool usually results in banks making a windfall. Is there an alternative such as government raising taxes for a temporary period to invest in certain needs like health and renewables. I'd rather pay more in taxes than in than to bank profits and I'd get something useful out of it. The problem with that is that um, uh, raising taxes or doing things like that uh, tend to be permanent. It's very difficult to, to do it temporarily. Let's watch the petrol uh, excise. That'll be the big one end of, end of September. Yeah, well, so that'll come off. That's right. But, yeah. But, you know. I mean, we've had three questions here where they're all saying the same thing, which is why can't we raise taxes to do some pet thing, whether it's infrastructure investment or social housing? And I just want to make some point. Hypothecation of taxes is a stupid idea and we should stop thinking about it. It's like me saying to the Commonwealth Bank, I'm going to deposit 50000 with you, Commonwealth Bank, so you can lend it to Alan Kohler. I mean, the way people link the money coming in with the money going out. It's its irrelevant which tax it comes from. You just need to think of the overall budget and stop hypothecating, like governments who want to justify their tobacco say, oh, they're putting it into hospital funding. I mean, it's just rubbish. It's not actually directed to anything. It's like a bank, you know, it's all, it's all one big bucket and we should just talk about whether the bucket's big enough and not try and pretend that one bit of one bucket is connected to another bucket. Well said, Stephen. Um, uh, we had all those tax washing questions. Thank, I'd like to thank Rob, Paul, Tim, Andrew and Lee for getting stuck into me. And yes, you cannot buy, sell and buy on the same day and wash your taxes. It's illegal. You'll be locked up. And only a Manningham cowboy would suggest something as ignorant and stupid as that. There's a question on share buybacks. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So question on share buybacks. Um, it's interesting. CSR announced one this morning, $100 million on-market buyback. Now, buybacks are good if the company is a long-term growth stock and particularly if they don't have much franking credit. So the best example is CSL, which at one point had bought back 25% of their shares because they were making all this money overseas. They couldn't pay any more frank dividends. So they bought all these shares back at you know, way below $100. And the share price is much higher today because there's less shares enjoying the bountiful global record profits. So CSL is the best example of smart buying back, but there's many examples of companies who try and take on hedge funds or try to prop up the share price to make themselves look good, and they end up overpaying. And the example from our questioner, Dean, is that AI Media announced a buyback when the stock was at a dollar, and now it's at 28 cents. So stupid. Waste of money, bad investment, should have conserved the cash. And I don't like buybacks when people like Jerry Harvey or Rupert Murdoch, they announce a buyback and then they don't actually do it. It's just an announcement to prop up the price because the, the shorters or people think, oh, they're, they're about to spend $500 million, but then they don't actually do it. So, and I prefer off-market buybacks because it's a more effective tax-effective tax way of getting the franking credits into the hands of the people who can most use them. But overall, they're a legitimate thing, much bigger in America because our franking credit system 
distorts capital management into dividends and away from things like buybacks and share price appreciation. Now, Stephen Elmer wants to know about your altruism. Uh, is it authentic? <laughs> um, as someone with skin in the game, I am interested because it would seem you are playing a game for your own altruism. I myself have shares in these companies for the year, which on the whole could be better. Why don't you advocate for a greater return to shareholders? I mean, I, I don't know what... Well, look, I mean... It, he is. I, I, he, he is, Elmer. Except in gambling stocks. I mean, most... When you go to AGMs and the greenies are all getting stuck in, they actually want the company to go broke. They hate the company and they want to see it destroyed. Now, I don't ask questions at an AGM wanting to see a company die, except in the gambling space. I want to see them prosper. So I'm doing it as a journalist who wants, wants the, st- the shares to go up. But basically, at the end of the day, it's journalism, what I'm doing. It's basically using the legal right to get access to powerful people managing your capital and holding them to account to try and create a culture of shareholder pressure because I got sick of going to AGMs for years and seeing crooks and bludgers getting away with murder because no one would get up and ask any questions. So it is, hopefully it's a little bit altruistic um, and I'm not, I'm not hating companies well, like I, many activists, other green activists at AGMs who hate them. I mean I can assure you Elmer for what it's worth, Stephen uh, does not make any money out of this activity. Uh, well, not much anyway. I mean, you own a few shares, but, uh, you know, well, really. I, I did look at it earlier today, and I, I think my capital gains for the year on 12 capital raising plays was $6,300. Um, and I've made about a bit over 400 since the GFC on capital raisings. But that basically was a boom couple of years, and it averages about 10 grand a year. It's not even worth the extra accounting bills you've got to pay when you and do your not, tax return. And you're not driving a Maserati. Correct. Correct. I've got the old uh, batted out Toyota. Clapped out Toyota. Yaris out the back there. So the Yaris. There now, John asks. John, where's John? Uh, John's the influencers. ASIC's decision to crack down on Finfluencers seems to have unintended consequences. Many informative and educational independent content providers have been scared off and are removing their content. They do provide a valuable resource for young investors who just can't afford paid advice from a financial advisor or even just folks who want to discuss general investment strategy, fees and tax issues in an online forum. Aussie Firebug has a great post about this issue and the chilling effect on the community. Well worth a listen and dropping an email to Stephen Jones, MP, to voice your concerns. Now, I did read the Aussie Firebug post and I completely agree with the position that... ASIC's crackdown on Finfluencers has had a chilling effect on free speech. We are okay, Alan, because we're journalists and we can riff. But if you're just some punter, you get ASIC knocking on the door saying, where's your AFSL? And that costs, including insurance, about 15 grand a year. So many bloggers and stuff are, are, are closing up shop. Massive over, overreach by ASIC, which the new government should unwind, in my view. Adam says, long-time listener, first-time caller, what the hell went wrong with Hum Group acquisition by Latitude? Stephen? Well, I mean, it was a reasonable deal at the time, but the market has come off for all these sort of finance operators, whether it's buy now, pay later, or the payday lender type operators like Hum and Latitude. And the lesson here is, do not try and sell part of your business if the founder and the biggest shareholder who's on the board doesn't agree with it. So Andrew Abercrombie owned 22% and he had the biggest part of his business sold out against his wishes by the rest of the board. He then ran a public campaign against it 
the board started coming out saying the division is rubbish and losing money and we're happy to get rid of it. And then Latitude sort of said, well, why would we buy that if it's a load of rubbish? And it's a soap opera and uh, the deal's been canned and the board made a mistake of trying to sell the business in the first place and now all the directors have resigned and the founder is back to running it himself and trying to find a whole bunch of other independent directors to come and sit alongside him. There you are, everyone. Um, Dale says, you can ask this one about Dale. Right at the end. We're just about out of time. This is the problem. Gee, there's about 12 pages of questions here, Alan. I know, I know. So everybody, we just haven't been able to, we won't be able to get to all of the questions today. But look, eventually... We, oh, here it is. We Recently, might. I love Dale's question. Recently, the Australian government reversed the ban on the sale of Carver, K-A-V-A. Carver is a drug made from the ground roots of a plant found in islands like Fiji and Vanuatu. Traditionally, the root is crushed and drunk as a tea. The effects of Carver include muscle relaxation, sleepiness, and feelings of well-being. I'm taking it to reduce my alcohol intake, says Dale. Fiji Carver is an ASX-listed company provided high-quality carver. Do you think carver could become super popular and as such Fiji could Fidge, F-I-J, could grow in price? Now, when, when our kids were toddlers, Deb and I went to Fiji for a holiday and we decided to go out one night and um, got a babysitter from the uh, from the resort and um, got we got back after dinner and, and there she was on the couch, uh, her muscles fully relaxed and she was feeling a great sense of well-being sound asleep having partaken of lots of carver lots of carver so uh, that was an interesting um, encounter with carver now I actually rang up I had never heard of Fiji carver the ASX listed company so I rang them up and um, so what they they've actually got products in chemists they're, they're on the um, you know the the vitamin shelf with uh, all these Black natural Black and chemist warehouses yeah holes. all that stuff yeah um, but they have a limit on how much carver they can put into their products. So I don't think they're allowed to sell anything that would produce a great deal of muscle relaxation and sense of well-being. Yes. But, but they have a little bit of carver in them uh, and uh, they're burning quite a lot of cash yes. is Fiji carver. So, uh, I mean, I'm, the, I don't, I'm not sure they're going to make it. No, really. well, they, I mean, they were, the stock was at $0.03 cents before the GFC and ran all the way to 25 and it's crashed all the way back to 3.2. And I feel very sorry for the 205 retail holders who invested 2.7 million at eight cents last year in the share purchase plan. So they've torched 60% of their investment and the company now only has two quarters of cash burn left and recently took out a bridging loan at 15%. And the total sales last year are only 1.6 million Australian. So, yes. and the CEO who's on 250,000 did a very self-important announcement saying, I've bought another 150,000 shares. It didn't say for a total investment of $4,800. <laughs> he was trying to project uh, confidence in his own ability to save the ship. Yes. So. Final question, uh, Renee, 31-year-old mum who was looking to totally change professions. Um as I enter the workforce, uh, work for, workforce after being a stay-at-home mum, and I thought this was interesting and worth uh, talking about. She wants to pivot into property investing advisory and uh, is interested in training uh, across the board in the financial industry. And uh, I've tossed around the idea of studying a graduate certificate of finance 
So my question is, where, where do you recommend someone starts to get a great base of understanding about micro, macro, economic, share market, etc.? Uh, university study or other short courses. Stephen, have you got a suggestion yes, I, for I, Renee? I do have a suggestion for Renee. So I rang up uh, Judith Fox this morning, who's the former CEO of the Shareholders Association, who's now the CEO of the Stockbrokers and Investment Advisors Association. And she said there's a there's a basic course called Core One Securities and Managed Investments, which costs $990. 150 hours of study and that is the course that Comsec and all the banks put all their tellers through and all the basic call centre staff at Comsec which is basically the 101 of securities and finance. But will um, it will it qualify you to be an advisor? No. So the stockbrokers who actually want to be a stockbroker, they have to do a financial planning degree. Right. And that's why – that's ridiculous over-regulation. That's why so many stockbrokers are retiring because they're not going back to university to do a three-year degree. But I think Renee's looking for something a bit more startup. So that little 150-hour stockbrokers association, that's the one that entry-level Comsec staff do so they're competent when talking to the punters on the phone. That sounds good for you, Renee. I mean, there's the, you can look up – uh, the TAFE courses. There's there's a lot of TAFE courses on various aspects of the economy and finance. You could have a look at those. And there's also Open University. But um, as Stephen says, they're big, big commitments. Yeah, massive um, commitments. And probably... Many uh, stockbrokers are failing to pass some of these. So un- unless degrees. you really want to become a fully qualified advisor, Renee, um, uh, I'd start with uh, what Stephen just suggested. And that's it for today. It's been great. As always, with Stephen May, thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with James Thompson. Send in your questions and we'll answer them together. Um, the question email is themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. So until next week, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. I'm Stephen Main, and just remember, do not wash your losses because the ATO will catch you out. See you in a fortnight. 